Matthew chapter 26. And um, we're going to pick up here. Topic Saturday is going to be uh, Ephesians 5.18. There, the start looking at that issue about not being drunk with wine, what that means in Scripture. I'm not going to do Psalms. I changed my mind. I got to studying about being filled with the Spirit. In the first part of that verse, I got studying that. And I'm like, eh, let's go talk about this because it's, uh, it's about the religious systems of the world and stuff. So, All right, Matthew 26. Uh, we're going to look tonight here. We're going to finish up 26 and get into 27. Um, I think it's an interesting thing that we are at this point in Matthew since it's Ash Wednesday. And we're going into the Lent season and wipe off the, the smudge. And uh, Easter's coming and all that good stuff. And yet here we are going to Calvary. And uh, uh, we're going to pick up here in verse 69 with some stuff here about Peter. Again, we are in the last few hours of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so we're in the night before his death. The, uh, he uh, has uh, given himself over into the hands of his enemies. The chief priests have uh, got him. They pulled him up into Ananias' office, did a little ad hoc committee on him. <clears throat> they uh, they uh, found him guilty with a couple false witnesses. They sent him over to Caiaphas. He beat on him a little bit. And uh, now they're, they've, uh, they've, so we've left the garden. We're up. We're doing. And now we're going to find out that he's going, they're going to go give him, give him to Rome. Uh, Matthew 26 here, uh, again, we're in verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace. Uh, if you start back up in verse 56, just to kind of get an idea, but Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Peter loved the Lord. He, they've left the garden. Um, he is very frustrated, if not angry. Uh, in the fact that uh, the Lord just gave up. Peter is not a coward. He he's, was never a coward uh, when it comes to fighting. And in Peter's estimation here is, why did we cave when we had them beat? We, you know, <laughs> we, we didn't even put up a fight. Actually, Peter went head hunting. Christ tells him to put the sword away, repairs Malchus's ear, and Peter... For Peter, commercial fisherman, upbringing, and so forth, he's a, he's a rough and tumble guy, and fighting his second hat, you know the old saying, I'll fight at the drop of the hat, and I'll drop the hat. That's Peter. So these guys, uh, they're, they're coming in, and he, again, he is not in the best of moods. He, he leaves, he's angry, he's upset. Uh, the, he, he's basically... Where the Lord basically says, I surrender, take me. Peter's like, you ain't taking me, and took off. Now, in verse 59 to 68, that's uh, the scene there in the Caiaphas in the palace as they grill him, and they begin to, to condemn Christ. Now in verse 69, we're going to get a flashback. And uh, uh, once again, actually here, and we're going to go... Verse 69, now Peter sat without in the palace. That's going to be a flash, flashback back up there to verse 58. 
But Peter followed him after afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now, while all this is going on with Caiaphas back and forth, here's what Peter was doing outside. Verse 69, now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. Now, again, you've got to remember what's going on here. Come over to John 18, a little comparative passage here. John 18, um, this girl doesn't just come up and start talking to Peter, okay? There's a little prompting that's going to happen here. John 18, verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. There's somebody at the door. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. So they're outside waiting at the gate. And as they take the Lord by, the other apostle that's with him, John, John's there. John goes in with them. John 18, verse 16. But Peter stood at the door without. So John goes in. Uh, he goes in with the crowd into Caiaphas, into the palace. Peter stood at the door without, verse 16, then went out. That other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. I'm in John 18, uh, verse 16, 17. So there's the first denial. So when you come back to Matthew 26, where we're at, what happens is Peter's standing outside, John is inside, John goes over to the young lady and says, hey, go get him. Go over there and talk to him and get him to come in. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that Peter and John had a conversation on their way where John's like, look, I can get us in. I know the place. They know me. And Peter's like, I don't want to go in there. I, you know, again, Pete, he's mad, he's upset, he, you know, he, he's like, I don't want to go in there, and so Peter stands out in the hallway, but yet John knows he's out there, and uh, he speaks to the girl, I could just see it, you know, you see that guy over there, tell him to come on in, you know, and she goes out, Matthew 26, 70, where, which is where we're at, but he denied them, he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. You know, who, who me? Who are you talking to me? <laughs> you know, and so you have denial number one, Matthew 26, 71. And when he was gone out into the porch, he, you have to think about Peter. He's out walking around. He can't stay still, stand still. And really, that tells you something about what's on his mind. One, it's a cold night. John 18 over there says that they had a fire going because it was cold. He can't sit still. He's nervous. He's upset. He's frustrated. The Lord just caved. He just gave in. There was no fight. What, you know, 
He's told the Lord, I'll die. You're not going to die. I'm going to die and all this stuff. And he's gone into the porch, verse 71. Another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. He just, everywhere he's going, what did they got him? They got his number. Now, come back there to John 18 again. Hold on to, I should have told you to hold on to John 18. But again, you have to see the psychology going on here. First, him and John are going. John sees the young lady holding the door, you know, standing at the door and says, hey, you see that guy over there? Go get him. Tell him to come in. And he, she goes, hey, weren't you one of the fellows with uh, Jesus of Galilee? He goes, no, I wasn't. What are you talking about? Who, me? And runs, goes away. Now another maid, another young lady's going to talk to him. John 18, verse 25. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, therefore, unto him, are, that, are not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. He warmed himself, so they got a fire going. It's a cold night. And it, by the way, this is early. We're, we're going to see in 27, uh, Matthew 27, the mornings come. So those wee hours where it's the coldest, he's warming himself, and he says, and they say, aren't you? And he goes, no, I'm not. Verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, being his kinman, kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, did not I see thee in the garden with him? Uh-oh. There's the relative of the guy he tried to headhunt. <laughs> and uh, you're the guy, aren't you? I th- I know that cloak. You're him. And he says, what? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crow. Peter's like, you you know, they're asking him. They're after him. By the way, they just don't walk up to Peter and say, hey, Pete, do you know the guy? Peter just didn't run over to the doorkeeper and say, I don't know the guy in there. So there's a lot of things going on here with Peter. And, and, and there's a lot of confusion going on in Peter's life. Like, there's a lot of things going on he doesn't understand. He's been, he has been tremendously disappointed. Christ is going to die. Peter wasn't a coward. Okay, He was ready to go at it. Now, he was a coward only when it came to sitting still and uh, taking a beating. When he was able to fight back, and that's the issue here. This is the only time that Peter was a coward is right here, because he can't fight, but yet he knows what? I should be fighting. I can't sit still. You see, when it came to sitting still and taking this beating that's happening here, even though it's not a physical beat, and not be able to fight back, he's caving. Now, if you notice, if you know anything about human nature, guess what? You're seeing it here in Peter. He gets frustrated. He gets angry. His heart won't let him leave, so he follows afar off and is over there. But it isn't the way that he wants. He wants to go in there and rescue the Messiah. Yet the Lord has given up. So now he's got... 
people coming along saying, aren't you the guy? Weren't you with him? Now, notice, go back to Matthew 26. He says there in verse 72, and again, he denied with an oath, I do not know, notice, the man. He doesn't even use his name, the Lord's name. See, John 13, the Lord says, you call me master and Lord, and you, you say, well. Peter's not even using, he's the man. Peter is beginning to talk like an unbeliever talks. And if you notice when people get mad at you, and they know your name, yet they start calling you by your last name, growing up in Chicago, hey, Jordan, come here. You know, it was always it was never Rick or Charles. It was always Jordan. Come here, Jordan. You know, and even you know in workplaces, Jordan. Every, well, that's what he's doing here. He calls him the man. In the second denial here, by by the way, if you look back at verse 61, Matthew 26, 61, the false witnesses. What do they say? This fellow said. They're not, they're, they don't even use his name. And it always, it's very impressive here that that's how Peter does it. It's just the man. And uh, he, 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 he even begins to leave out the Lord's name. So you've got the first denial, verse 70. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Then you got the second denial, verse 72. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man, verse 73. And after a while came unto him they, uh, they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. His speech betrayeth him. Now, you have to think about that. That, that is actually saying quite a bit. He's been talking, and it's been a little while here. It's, it's, it's roughly an hour later that this is going to happen. Come over to Luke chapter 22. Notice the passage in Luke that gives us information here, Luke 22. So he's been, sta he's been standing in the way of the sinners. He's been sitting in the seat of the scornful. He's been, Peter's been out there walking in the way of the ungodly. He's been hanging out with the servants. He's not where he's supposed to be. <clears throat> and he's, his speech begins to betray him. Now look at Luke 22 and look at verse <coughs> 59. And about the space of one hour after another, so see it's been about an hour after another confidentially affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Isn't that interesting? Now, so he's from Galilee. Where's Galilee? North or south? He's, up, he's from up north. Come over to Mark 14. Mark chapter 14. They're, they are down south in Jerusalem. And they're looking at him going, you're a Yankee, man. You're from the north. Your speech gave you away. Mark 14, look at verse 70. Mark 14, verse 70. 
and he denied it again, and a little after, uh, and a little after, they that stood by, and again to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth hither, uh, thither too. They look at him and they say, man, you got an accent. You're not from around here. You're from up north. We know that accent. I was watching a show on Netflix, and it was about the, uh, the dialects in Scotland and in Britain and in Europe over England and how it came through the, through the centuries. And you can't understand a word these people are saying. I don't know how they understand it, but they do. And, but, you know, you know and then I, then I flipped over to YouTube and saw Robin Williams. He's dead, too, but a uh, thing on uh, the Scots and the invention of golf. And, hey, you know, put a little ball in all, you know, and all the, and I just cracked me up. But anyway, that's my sense of humor. But the thing is, is his speech gave him away. He had a different accent. But there's more to just having the accent here. The Peter is not talking like a believer. He's talking like an unbeliever. If you want to know what's going on in a man's heart, listen to what he says. There's a great thing about praying publicly. And we don't do that a lot here just because we've never really done it. I tried to do it, call on a couple guys to open the morning in prayer, and they got nervous and, and for like a two weeks and never came to church. So I didn't call on them, you know. But when you, when, you, when you pray publicly, people can hear what's going on in your heart. If you want to know, you listen to the words that come out of his mouth. And the only way that you can tell what's in a man's heart is by listening to the testimony of his lips. That's why uh, I think it's Proverbs, uh, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh is the idea. And when you look at Peter here, and by the way, you can look at other people. How do you know a man is saved? How do you know somebody's saved? Well, you find out what they're trusting to be saved, Right? So what do you have? You have to listen to their activity. You can never judge somebody by the way they live in, in the age of grace anyway because I've known some people who live a pretty dirty, rotten life, and they're believers. And I know some people who have lived a pretty clean, diligent life, and they're unbelievers lost on their way to hell and rejected the gospel. So you can't really do that, but you know what you can do? You listen to their speech. And again, if you're saved, you ought to act like it, you ought to talk like it, you ought to be uh, in your attitudes, in your character, but also in your speech. And Peter here, he, come back to Matthew 26 if you're not back there yet. Peter, his speech is just, is betrayed him. Look at verse 74. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Get off my back. Leave me alone. I don't know him. But notice he began to curse and swear. Now, again, Peter's a commercial fisherman. I'm sure he could do a blue streak like anyone else, as Dad would say. But, you know, he shouldn't have been. 
because he's a belief, he's, he's, he is the apostle of the 12. He's the leader, and yet because of him falling back into anger, frustration, mad, he's let the moment get him. He, the confusion is in there. He doesn't understand what's going on. And so what does he do? He falters. And usually, when you, if you ever think about cursing, I can remember the first time I ever said a swear word. My mom heard me. And it was in with the soap and the wash the mouth out with soap. And it was, wait till your daddy gets home. And that was like 9 o'clock in the morning. And dad didn't get home like 4 in the afternoon, you know. So I was six hours in my bedroom with nothing but the walls, <laughs> you know. And... Uh, and, you know, when you think about swearing and cursing, what, what someone is doing, like, first of all, it shows the inept in their vocabulary. But the reason that someone does that is that they're trying to show somebody else's authority by which they speak. They're trying to bring somebody down to their level or promote themselves up above and make them bigger than everybody else is around. And, you know, as believers, we shouldn't do that. Peter shouldn't have been doing that. It doesn't belong in our, in our life. Uh, I, I can remember Dad, he's like, you don't talk like you live in the gutter. It's gutter talk. You don't talk like that. And uh, then he handed me a dictionary and said, learn a better vocabulary. <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right, Dad. And then I got, I got the... Uh, the rod, the spare not the rod, spoil the child. I got the rod, and we were good, okay? So, and I, guess what? I, later in life, you know, you get out on your own, and you do what you do. But Peter here, that's, so the speech. One, he, is, he was from the north. They got him. But then two, he's not talking. He's not speaking like a believer would should have been speaking. And, uh... If you look here, again, Matthew 26, 74, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. By the way, it's never okay to curse. I, people, oh, sorry, pastor. Yeah, it's like, it's never okay, <laughs> you know. But uh, anyway, the end of the verse. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus. Peter remembered the word. The word earlier, verse 7, verse 31, then said Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And when we went through there, I told you, Peter says, Lord, I don't care what the word of God says. I'm not going to be offended. And the Lord says, yes, you are. You're going to deny me. In, in verse 35, Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Yes, you are. So now Peter does what? Verse 75. That cock crew, three, time, three strikes, you're out. And what did Peter say? Oh, I remember the word. All of you are going to be offended. Pete says, I don't, not me. He heard the cock crow, and you know what? He knew. Busted. Now, there's an interesting insight. Come over to Luke 22. 
or back to Luke 22. There's an interesting thing here. When we went through Luke, we kind of spent some time here. We went through Luke like eight years ago, seems like. Like, man. John took four, almost four years to go through. We're moving through Matthew pretty good. <laughs> but, but we have Luke and John under our belts. We'll start Mark later the, in, in a, when we get done with, here with Matthew. But uh, look at Luke 22. And look at verse 60, because there's something here that's very touching about this issue with Peter. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest, and immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and called Peter out. No. And did what? Looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he's... He had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Notice the scene. Very touching. Peter's out there in the flesh doing his thing, cursing, swearing, talking bad, denying the Lord. I never knew the man. I never knew the man. I don't know who you're talking about. Leave me alone. Get off my back. And as soon as that cock crow the Lord didn't say a word. He just looked across the, 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 the courtyard because Caiaphas and Ananias, they were in a, had a courtyard between them, and the Lord's upstairs being pulled across on the porch. Peter's down at the gate, down inside at the, at the fireplace, and the cock crows, and he looks up, and the Lord just looks at him. And you know what? Peter knew. Peter understood immediately what had happened. He looks, and that's the look that made him go out and weep bitterly. Now, what you see there with Peter going out and weeping bitterly is you see real repentance. Now, godly sorrow that works repentance, Paul says. Now, repentance is not sorrow for sin. By the way, penance and penitence are sorrow for sin and trying to make it right and trying to pay enough to make it up, okay? But repentance in Scripture is just simply changing your mind. And what happens here to, to Peter is he's, go back to Matthew 27 or 26, he's reminded of the word of the Lord. And he looks up there, verse 75, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice, and he went out and wept bitterly. He's reminded, and instantly he has a godly sorrow unto repentance. And uh, he had a complete change of mind and attitude within himself. Now, 27.1, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, these verses are very important. Because what has happened here so far 
has been an unofficial ad hoc committee. Now, if you come back to Deuteronomy 19, Deuteronomy 19, and, and here's the problem that they're facing. They got basically two, is, two problems, two issues here with the trial of Christ. The first one was they couldn't find witnesses that could agree. They got one guy in, he says, nope, this is the way it is. The other guy couldn't line up with him. He had a, they finally found a couple guys that kind of hem and hawed enough that they could make it work. Deuteronomy 19, verse 16. Now, they're ha now they have that, you know, by the way, Caiaphas asked him, are you the son of God? What did Christ say? You said it. Oh, blaspheme, and Caiaphas blows up, and they punch him, you know, they hit him with the palm of their hand and all this stuff. So they got him. And they say, you're worthy to death. And, well, what does Leviticus say they're supposed to do with him? Take him out and stone him, right? So now they have an accusation, but they have another problem in the, in the law because the ad hoc committee can't execute someone or pass a formal judgment. Deuteronomy 19, verse 16. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priest, and who? The judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent in inquisition. And behold, if the witnesses be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. That would stop the false witnessing. So if you're going to you know, if you're going to have perjury against, you're going to perjure yourself against the guy and you get caught, what's to happen? They're, the judges are to come in and deal with this. You know, it, it's like the guy, you, if you steal a lamb, how many lambs do you have to pay back? Fourfold, right? Mm -hmm. You guys with me? Remember, yeah. your, Come on, remember your law. <laughs> so, you, okay, that, that restitution issue, they didn't do that. Come back to, back to Matthew 27. They, they are sitting right there, and the, the, that ad hoc committee had met. They tried him. They condemned him. They beat him. But there's no judges there. Look back there at Matthew 27. There's nobody, it's just the chief priest and the elders. 27.1, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against him. They're missing the, uh, they're, they're, they're missing a component. So they have trouble. So they take him over and they give him to who? Well, just move him over to the governor. We could have Rome kill him. We can't. They couldn't legally kill him because there's nothing. He's innocent. So we'll get Rome to do it. And that's where they're headed. Okay. Now, 27.3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him. We're going to have a flashback here now. Just as we had a flashback about Peter denying um, the word and, and the three denials and rejecting, and then that issue of repentance there. Now we're going to have a flashback here 
with Judas and a for a different kind of repentance. Okay? Now look at verse uh, three. I'm gonna find where I'm at here. Yeah, there we are. Okay. So there there's gonna be two kind of repentances here. Okay, and one in Peter, you see the godly sorrow working re, uh, repentance. But now in Judas, you see the, the sorrow of the world, the evil of the world type of, uh, of issue. Notice verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned. All right, that's pretty good confession so far. In that I have betrayed innocent, I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. Now, that's a true statement. He brings the money back. So people go, well, he's trying to do right. Well, he's a little guilty conscience going on here. Verse 5. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Okay? Well, that was, he had a remorse of the conscience there. He goes out, kills himself, and uh, that's, you know, he's pretty messed up, pretty depressed, if you will, sorrowful, remorseful for what he had done. And that be this becomes that issue of the sorrow of the world. Now, what's going to happen here is when guilt comes into play, when guilt comes to the place where instead of being real guilt, it's the world's sorrow, the psychology of the feelings of shame and rejection and fear and lack of any self-worth, all of those guilt feelings that come. That's where Judas was. He's crying out, and it's the repentance of despair. And he knows it. It's, so in other words, it's not true, real repentance. He's looking for an angle to get off the hook. And by the way, you'll notice there that uh, he comes in there, repented himself, and brought again, saying, I have sinned. He's, in that issue, he's doing that religious confession. And he's trying to get off the, uh, the hook, and he's guilty. Now, J Judas and Peter were both were sorry, but wanted to, and they both wanted to do the right thing. They both wanted to make restitution. The difference between the two guys is that one, they went, Peter went out and wept bitterly. He probably went back to the Garden of Gethsemane where the Lord had prayed, where the Lord had left him to pray and so forth. Judas went to who? To the chief priest. He went to, he, he, he goes in there to the guys in the long black robes. They like to hear their names called in the marketplace, father and so forth. He went back into the religious center. And the issue is, is what would make one guy go one way and the other guy go another? And it's always the issue of the heart, that issue of faith. 
And that's what Peter did. Peter operated on faith, went out, wept bitterly, went back, understood what was going on. Judas comes in and says, I have sinned, and I'm, everybody knows it, and uh, I'm really sorry about it. I'm going to give the money back. And everybody looks at him and says, well, man, that's really good, godly sorrow and so forth. But that, what did he go do? He went out and hung himself. You know, It's interesting, I have sinned. Seven guys in the Bible say, I have sinned. There's seven people that have said that. Seven, uh, seven uh, men, seven people in the Bible. You got Pharaoh, Exodus 9. You've got... Uh, Balaam, Numbers 22, Saul, 1 Samuel 15, Achan and Joshua 7, David and 2 Samuel 12. In Luke, you've got the prodigal son when he comes back and says, I have sinned against thee in heaven. And then you've got Judas here, and he says, I have sinned. So you've got Pharaoh, Exodus 9, Balaam and Numbers 22, Saul and 1 Samuel 15, Achan and Joshua 7, David and 2 Samuel 12, and Luke there you got the prodigal son, the, it's skipping where that's at in Luke, but, and then you have here in Matthew 27 you have Judas. You look at all seven of those guys and you know what you did? You see seven different kinds of repentance where they changed their mind and what they had to go do. Judas had sorrow. Um, but he had the sorrow of the world that works death. So what did he do? He died. Now it's interesting, Matthew 27, he says, I betrayed the innocent blood. In Acts 20, verse 28, look over there. It's, 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 I don't think, uh, Acts 20, I don't think Judas knew this, but it is interesting how the Apostle Paul says this to the church there, Ephesus, the leaders. Acts 20, 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purposed with his own, what? Blood. It was God's blood that was poured out at Calvary. So it wasn't innocent blood, it was God's blood that was poured out there. And he didn't know... You know, Judas doesn't know. Go back to Matthew 27. Judas doesn't understand that. But Paul comes in and says, hey, what was poured out there was God's blood. So, Matthew 27, 4, he says, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. That's your problem. You got the problem, dude. What's that to us? Take care of yourself. Get out of here. Beat it. Do your five Hail Marys and your eight Our Fathers and get out the door. Let's go. That's what they're doing. Now, what that shows you is the situation that Israel was in spiritually. Their leaders are ignorant of the fact that Christ was innocent and that Judas was guilty. We know what we got to do, the chief priest, the leadership saying, we're going to go do it, now you just hit the road. And that, what are they trying to do? To kill him. And they've got him. Now if you look at verse 5, And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. 
And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for, to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Now, there's a lot happening here. So we'll just start in verse 5 because when you come to verse 5 about him hanging himself, now you come up to what is called one of the major contradictions in the Bible because of Acts chapter 1. Come over to Acts 1 and look at verse 8. Uh, 18, I'm sorry, Acts 1, 18. And what happens is, is the Bible critics love to use this passage as a, see, your King James Bible has an error in it. And they use Acts 1, 18 and 19 with Matthew 27, verse 5. Notice Acts 1, 18. Now this man, and he's talking about Judas, verse 16, purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is called in their proper tongue, uh, the field of blood. Okay? All right? Now, obviously it's a reference to Judas. Obviously it's a reference to the potter's field. But the verse says he bought it. But did he buy it? Well, Matthew 27 says, no, the chief priest did. They looked at it and said, we can't, we can't be un, unlawful and unholy here. we got to go do something else, okay? Judas, verse 18, Acts 1, 18, Judas purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And uh, falling headlong, he burst himself open and killed himself. Well, Matthew 27, 5, what does it say? It hanged himself, verse 7, and they took counsel and brought with them the potter's field, uh, bought with them the potter's field to buy, uh, to bury the strangers in. So Matthew says the chief priest bought the field and Judas hung himself. Did Judas hang himself? Yes. Did Judas fall headlong and burst open? Yes. Did he buy the field and then go do it and kill himself? He didn't buy the field. He gave the money to the chief priest, and where the chief priest went and did it, Matthew 27 says that he hung himself. Let's start there. And then they took counsel and went out and bought the field. Whose money did they use? Judas's money. That, okay, the dirt, These guys got the 30 pieces of silver and said, we could put it back in the, temp, in the treasury because it was blood money. We can't. So we're going to use it to go over here and buy a field. Now, whose money was it? It was Judas's money. So it was a by proxy type of a purchase. Okay? Judas didn't walk out and make the deal for the field and do and see, and that's what everybody says. Oh, Judas went out, made the deal, and he did this and this. No. Judas has hung himself. When they go by the field, he's dead. Okay? So we get Acts 1 is giving us some additional information about the transaction, but it's also telling you something about what ha else happened. Go back there to Matthew 27, 
In Matthew 27, it says that Judas hung himself. So Judas left the temple, went out, found a tree, threw a rope up there, got up there, kicked the horse out from underneath him and hung himself. Okay? But Acts 1 said he did what? He fell, burst open, you know, bowels everywhere, right? Well, look at 2750. Matthew 2750. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Let me ask you something. If he's out there hanging on a tree, this is only an hour or two later. If he's hanging on a tree and then there's an earthquake, what's going to happen to the tree branch? It's going to come down, okay? And, and he could then come down, and it can then burst open and go all over the ground, right? So that's one plausible. If you've got a plausible, logical explanation, okay, then it's not a contradiction. It's not an error. I read a guy one time. He said that uh, his thought was that Judas tied a rope to a limb that was over a ravine, took a leap out over the ravine with the rope around his neck. And when the weight of his body came down on the rope, it snapped the rope, and down he went over the cliff, and his body burst open. That could have happened. Okay? So there are two plausible explanations for what it says. So then guess what? There is no contradiction. Because it could be he hung himself, and then when the Lord rent the veil, the earthquake, he fell. Or he went out there and jumped off the edge, the cliff, and took care of business that way. Go back to Matt. You're in 27. Go back there to verse 6. So either way, you've got a no, con, no contradiction. But we're not done yet. So verse 6. And the chief priest took the 30 pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. Their ceremonial correctness and, right, and ritual exactness is still in play even though they're about to go kill their Messiah with no uh, facts. He's innocent. Now you know why God hates religion. It's right here. Verse 8. Wherefore the field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. By the way, 30 pieces of silver in Exodus is the price of the sl- of the slave when they don't func- when they're un- when they're no longer able to function and do their job. They get 30 pieces, okay? Um, it's also redemptive money. Uh, the the number. But notice in verse 9 Because here's the other, there's a mistake in your Bible. Because they say, then that was, uh, verse 9, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. Wait a minute, Jeremy, and by the way, he quotes Zechariah 11. (laughs) Verse 13 is the quote. So Jeremiah never wrote that, so that's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. But wait a minute, what did the verse say? That which was written by Jeremiah or that which was spoken by Jeremiah? 
See, it was, if it were spoken by Jeremy, Jeremiah, how come it's really, how come it's recorded in Zechariah? Shouldn't it be in Jeremiah? So they say, see, there's a contradiction here. There's an error. See? Now, the thing of it is, is come to Zechariah 11 and notice what's happening here. Zechariah 11, verse 13. Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew. So it's real, real close. Zechariah 11 and verse 13. Uh, verse 12, And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it into, unto the potter, a goodly price, that I was prized at of them and I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord and there's the quote but Matthew 27 9 said who who spoke that Jeremiah did when something doesn't make sense what do you usually try to do keep reading right and if you keep reading I, I wrote this down God never gave his word to lazy people who don't think. He said to do what with it? Study it. Get in there, think about it. You know, you hear people say, oh, you know, you Bible believers are dummies and dumb thumps. No, get in there. It makes sense. Pay attention. So if you hold on to Zechariah, go back with me to Mark chapter 1. Matthew 27, 9 says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken. The verse doesn't say it was found in Jeremiah. It, it says it was spoken by Jeremiah. Now, look at Mark 1. We all know this passage. Mark 1, verse 2. As it is written in the prophets. And then he quotes Malachi 3, verse 1. And then in verse 3, he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. But the New Bibles say what? As it is written in Isaiah. And they still quote Malachi, and they still... So, did, so that's a, that is a problem. That's a mistake. If it was written in Isaiah, then it needs to be in Isaiah. The verse in Matthew 27 says it was spoken. It doesn't say it was written. All right, you with me? That's important. I'll give you another one. Come over to Jude. I love this one in Jude. Jude 14. And then we'll, we'll go back to Zechariah here. Look at Jude 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesies of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Do you know that that's the only place you ever hear Enoch speak in Scripture? Is right there. Enoch in, of Noah's day. So Noah, preacher of righteousness, the flood, but Enoch is there too. Noah's not alone. Everybody thinks Noah and his family are it. Enoch is there. Enoch is taken up before, remember? He's translated up before the flood. But th look at that. Enoch's, now how in the world does Jude know Enoch said that? A little dude called the Holy Spirit told him. <laughs> you know, that's interesting to me. But... Uh, Anyway, go back to Zechariah, Zechariah 7. 
it, yeah, Zechariah 7, we're going to start there because this is important here. So Mark, Matthew 27, you've got, wait a minute, Judas didn't hang himself. He burst open. He didn't buy it. So you got a problem, Acts 1. Now in 9, whoa, 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 we got another problem here. This text is full of problems, so let's just get rid of it. It doesn't say it was written by Jeremiah. It said it was spoken. Now watch Zechariah 7, verse 7, because there's something very interesting here. Zechariah 7, 7, Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets, when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, and the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain? Now, the prophets that prophesied while Jerusalem was still inhabited, do you know who those, the, so the pre-exile prophets, so those would be who? Well, Elijah, Elisha, uh, Isaiah, and who? Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Daniel, okay? They are, Jeremiah is there. By the way, Jeremiah is the one that says Nebuchadnezzar is going to come down here and get you guys. So what is Zechariah telling them? We ought to be listening to what these guys were talking about beforehand. You see, now come over to chapter 11. What God's telling them in Zechariah, by the way, Zechariah is a post-exile after the exile is over, that you guys ought to be paying attention to what Jeremiah and the other prophets wrote and said. So when Zechariah writes down some of what Jeremiah says here in chapter 11, verse 13, by the way, verse 13 is a great verse on the deity of, the, of Christ. And the Lord, there's Jehovah, said unto me, cast it unto the, potter's, uh, unto the potter a goodly price that I was praised at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Drop down to verse 15. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd, for lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that, that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd, I-D-O-L, that leaveth the flock, the sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. You know who we're talking about there? That's the Antichrist. Verse 15, 16, and 17 referring to the Antichrist in a context with Judas that focuses on the deity of Christ that the Jews are going to use over here to try and then deny the word of God. See, so by the way, verse 17 there, there's the assassination in the middle of the week of the Antichrist. Now come back to Matthew 27. So you've got a wonderful thing going on here, you know, and people, oh, wait a minute, and blow their stacks, and yet here we are. Now, Matthew 27, 
verse 7. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Verse 10, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. When Judas died, the judgment of God was falling on Israel. That's the picture. And yet, God's grace was being provided through that judgment, through their unbelief, through their rebellion and rejection, in a field to provide grace for strangers. Because they had a place to be buried. Okay? Now, the hour's up, so we'll pick up in verse 11 and move on down. So, verse 3 to 10 deals with the issue of Judas. Now, verse 11 is going to go back to verse 2, where we're going to have that flat, where we have a flashback just like it had about Judas in the preceding chapter, and we'll see all that next time, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the passage here, for the look at the precursor to Calvary, to the details that are going on. And to your name we pray. Amen.